Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's going on, guys? Back for another one. A little uh, shorter break between podcasts this time, and I'm pleased to announce the new co-host with me, Mr. Thomas Hoke from Hoke Outdoors. How are you doing, buddy? Good, good. Just hanging out up here on a warm afternoon in northern Minnesota. Yeah, has it been really hot up there? Uh, there's been spells, for sure. We had a couple weeks where we were touching 80s 90s up into the hundreds even pretty regularly but it's cooled down the last couple weeks so it's been nice got me ready for hunting season oh yeah oh yeah i'm i'm i mean we are covered in doves around here so i'm already on those and uh, if we had some wetlands i'd be thinking about teal too but pretty dry in nebraska this year unfortunately yeah i'm you sent some videos in our little group and it's crazy how uh seasonal those wetlands are that y'all got i mean pretty much every year up to this point it seems like you always have some water around and this year y'all are absolutely bone dry which just pretty wild that there's nothing besides the big lake out there that's really permanent yeah i mean you know it's just that's how it is in nebraska sometimes it's i mean we've had a drought for a couple of years and this is the first year that there's no wetlands with water in them currently so maybe we'll get some rain between now and then hopefully but not holding my breath there. I'm surprised no one out there pumps for waterfowl at all. Like I would think there'd at least be one or two landowners who like duck hunting who would maybe do some pumping into wetland. And see, we, I'm not sure how that all works. I they, there's a water allocation that they have, so mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're really worrying about ducks too much. They're more, we've got to make sure we have enough water for the next year for our corn or beans or whatever that you know they're irrigating. So. I, I think it's more of a they really can't because <laughs> yeah. they're only allocated so much water. That makes sense. But real quick, we'll uh, we'll have you talk about yourself in just a second. We're gonna plug Ben here because he keeps telling me I need to on this. The former co-host or former host of the Foul Front here. He he's written three children books actually, and uh, 
They're for aimed at kids from two to five. Uh, one's about waterfowl ID, one's about deer hunting, and one's about teaching kids the conservation uh, model in North America. So all really good t- uh, topics to, you know, <laughs> never too early to start kids and getting them outdoors and all that good stuff. Um, and Ben, the conservationist that he is, is donating 11% of all the profits to conservation organizations. So you can go over to thefowlfront.com and check those out. Um, I had the pleasure of collaborating on the waterfowl ID. I took a bunch of pictures of various waterfowl species. So, uh, and then Ben doctored them up so you couldn't even tell. But uh, had to give that little plug in, and uh, we'll, now we'll hear about Thomas. So tell the people who may not be familiar with you, Thomas, a little bit about yourselves. Well, before I get into that, I got one question. Are the books out yet? No, they're coming out uh, September 1st. That's when they're published. So you can pre-order them right now. That's a good day to have them come out. I'll, I'm interested to see see those. I might have to check them out. Um, but yeah, a little bit about myself, I guess. Um, former co-host of The Foul Front. We took a year-long <laughs> hiatus, so I'm excited to be back doing this again. I really enjoyed doing it with Ben and Alex, and hopefully we can have both of them on quite a bit as much as their schedules allow and uh i'm just working up here in minnesota for the summer making calls for drc call company work for Corey loffler and uh having a great time doing that and hopefully do a lot of hunting this this season i just finished college this past spring so i uh got a lot of free time on my hands this fall and hoping to turn that into a lot of hunting kind of follow Matt's footsteps hunting 70, 80, 90 times a year. <laughs> so I guess, do you have any big travel plans this upcoming season? Like you, uh, you've hunted Texas before. Of course you hunt Virginia. Uh, you hunted North Dakota last year. What are like our gas prices at all going to affect you? Or are you just gonna, you know, go all over, try to try some new things. Let's hear, hear your plans for the season. No, gas prices are definitely gonna gonna affect me. I this spring when I was kind of trying to plan everything out, I was planning on doing some traveling out to the West Coast. Definitely sticking in the Central Flyway. Some really trying to hit all four flyways. Um, that was when gas was like three fifty a gallon, and so with gas at five dollars a gallon, it's coming back down, but still definitely higher than it was when I was doing all those plans. I'm going to not be doing as much traveling. I'll still try and travel as much as I can, but instead of, you know, going to a new place every week or so, it would probably be, Oh, go somewhere and hang out for two or three weeks and then travel to the next location. Um, but I think my plan right now is I'm going to definitely try and hit North Dakota again for the August season. That's just such a great opportunity being right here in the part of Minnesota I am. And then I'm going to go back to Virginia for September. I just, I love the dove hunting down there, early goose season. It's uh, really social hunting that time of year. So I always enjoy those. And then uh, I think I'm going to come back up here for like October and November and try and do the Minnesota and North Dakota thing for those couple months. Cause you know, I get to see so many ducks up here when I'm up here during the summer. That's <laughs> like, I got to come up here and try the hunting. And I've heard so much about the hunting culture up here that I really want to get to experience that. So that's the plans right now. And then after everything freezes up up here, I'll have to kind of reassess and see what gas prices are and where I can go next. All right. Well, you're going to be passing right through a, a fellow Flyway member's uh, neck of the woods, I guess. Are you going to make any trips out with him? 
I don't think I will on the first leg back, like Minnesota to Virginia. I don't think I'll hunt with Jordan. I'll definitely stay, stop with him and probably do some scouting with him because it'll be like one or two days before uh, their season opens there. But I definitely will on my way back. I'm not sure if anything will really be open. I think it'll probably be like third week of September, fourth week of September that I'm heading back from Virginia to Minnesota. Um, well, so I'm not sure... Is- I think that's the Michigan opener, one of them, like the UP or something. Yeah, I don't think it'll be that weekend because I'm trying to make it, I guess it'll be a third week because I'm trying to make it back for the Minnesota opener, which is that same weekend. It's like the last weekend in September. So um, it'll be probably like a couple days before that, probably midweek. So I don't know, maybe some early goose hunting still. I don't know what the early goose season is exactly in Indiana. If nothing else, hopefully some dove hunting if they still have some of those around. But definitely want to want to get out with him because we've been talking about it for a long time yeah he kind of just hogs you know indiana and michigan all to himself never invites anyone else out but uh, maybe you'll be the first <laughs> yeah i definitely want to do michigan with him at some point i'm not sure about the up i mean i think it's it's cool but i really like the kind of middle zone and southern zone hunts that he does in in michigan so i'd like to go and check that out oh yeah Okay, well, you kind of hinted at it, and I guess let's just jump right over to that. Is uh, you said there's quite a bit of water up there in North Dakota this year. Um, I know the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service; their numbers should be coming out here in the next few weeks, and I'm sure we'll talk about that, you know, whenever that happens. Um, but any any educated guesses as to like just based on? I mean, you're up there; you're seeing them. Have you and you've been flying drones around, or just scouting Not- around, or what are you? What are you not too much. I don't fly the drone much this time of year. I just, you're not going to see a big congregations of birds and I don't like to really try and scare the, or put pressure on the, the hatchlings and stuff like that. Since some of their biggest predators are hawks and harriers okay. and things like that. So that, I think it would scare them a lot. So I don't really, I haven't flown the drone around at all, but, uh, I'd say the numbers should be up. Uh, Minnesota definitely has a lot of water. I haven't been out to North Dakota much, like just kind of right on the border area. So not really into the prairie pothole region of North Dakota as much. But from what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing in Minnesota and just all the rain that's come across North Dakota to hit us, I'd say they're going to have a lot more water up there and probably a lot more birds. I actually went up to Canada last weekend and uh, visited Delta Marsh and they have a lot of water up there and a ton of birds. So a lot of teal for sure around here and up there. Uh, A lot of blue wings. I actually like two miles into Canada, right after I'd crossed the border, there was a whole um, flock of blue wings crossing the road. So I had to stop for them and let like 12 little blue wings (laughs) and their mom walk across the road from one wetland to another so that was pretty cool to see and uh yeah i'm excited i think i'm gonna get out to north dakota next weekend so hopefully i should have a little bit more information on that after i get out there okay yeah you know we'll pick that up once again uh it it seems like you know i've just been watching the drought monitors and stuff and uh watching all the rain basically and it seems like north dakota south dakota they're catching it and you get about to that south dakota nebraska line and we're just getting neglected here for the most part so it like like we just said you know it's pretty dry down here and i don't i don't think we hatched any birds other than maybe some local mallards wood ducks and geese just on like the big reservoirs across the state Mm mm-hmm 
What about the sand hills? What's what's the water situation looking like up there? It's it's really hit and miss. Um, you know, some some of the lakes up there are drawn down a lot, um, and some of them they it, it's really just wherever those pop up thunderstorms have been hitting. Like they'll they'll catch a little bit, you know, and it'll just be a line where they get big hail and a couple inches of rain, and that might be enough to you know kick the lake back up a couple feet, depending how much you know how much it rained there. Um, there's, there's usually always some kind of water, but you know, you've got to check it every year because wetlands that were there one year might not be there or wetlands like in a wet year, there's places where it was knee deep and you could wait out all the way to the middle that I've hunted. And you know, the next year it's over your head just from how much rain they get. So it's yeah right this year though. It's, you know, it's a drought. It's pretty dry up there. So. Gotcha. Is there much for seasonal wetlands out there or is pretty much everything up there permanent? Like what you're seeing in the spring is also going to have water in the fall. Yeah, typically, uh, you know, there'll be some drawdown. There's not a lot of irrigation up there uh, because it's, it's literally all sand. Like that's all the soil really is, is just sand. So you're not really, for the most part, growing corn or any row crops or anything. It's all just rangeland for cattle. Um, so there's not a lot of drawdown from that aspect. Uh, but usually, yeah, if, if there's water in the springtime, there's a fair, you can, unless it like really turns off, then it might go completely dry, but there'll always be some, some of the bigger ones will always have it. And even some of the smaller ones, you can tell like the grass will be greener. There might be a little bit of like a splash of water, but you might not see it. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It'll just be crowded out by vegetation. Gotcha. Yeah, that's one thing I've, or the main thing I've noticed water-wise up here this year is, you know, last year it was a big drought. There was definitely some bigger wetlands that came close to drying out completely or dried out completely. But last year there was no like small sheet water areas. And this year all over Minnesota and up into Canada, it's just like small sheet water areas, what they call seasonal wetlands. And from everything I've always heard, those are the ones that really are super productive for hatching birds out. And I actually kind of saw that in one spot in Canada. The only spot I saw multiple broods that I saw a brood of wood ducks, a brood of mallards and a brood of canvasbacks all in this one little wetland. And all it was was basically part of a cattle pasture that just had some trees and and just a, a lot of growth in it but it also had a lot of water in it and so there was just a ton of cover in there and there was just a lot of birds in there versus everywhere else i saw birds it was just like uh maybe one one hatch of birds here one hatch of birds there so it seems like those areas with more cover that are more seasonal are really the productive ones yeah I- I think it was Ducks Unlimited. I was just reading a magazine just this last week, actually, and it was saying something how, uh, you know, a lot of ducks that are hatched this season, the wetlands will be dry by the time season's here or something. Like, they really rely, at least in the prairie pothole region, on those very seasonal wetlands. Just, I mean, that's that's all they <laughs> that's all they need. So, it's a good thing yep. we got water during the uh, nesting season. It's been I, after last season and... I can't remember if 2020 was really dry. I think it was starting, but there was still a fair amount of water up there, if I remember correctly. seems like ages ago now. Um, But definitely some good news up there for the nesting birds. Hopefully the Fish and Wildlife Service survey reflects that as well. So Here, one sec. So I got to go grab my computer charger, and I think this will be kind of cool. 
how about you real quick go solo and say like what species you think will be doing better this year in the survey and what species you think will be the same or down and then i'll come back and do mine and we'll just make it super quick should be like a minute okay all right all right well being put on the spot here so i guess uh i'm gonna say that i'm gonna say green wings and blue wings and I know green wings nest in different areas typically. I'm going to say teal are up or similar. And then I'm going to say, I'll say mallards are down. I hope that's not the case. Um, I hope all the all the duck species are up, but I'm going to go with blue wings and green wings up and mallards down. So that's what we'll go with. Um, we'll see what Thomas has to do. <laughs> Uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully for, I mean, the teal season here in Nebraska is looking bleak. I'd across the state, they've gotten a few rains on some wetlands, but other than that, it's been a very, very dry season. And, uh, we've had this past week, it was a little rainy here in Nebraska. We got some, got some rains. I think we got almost two inches over the week here where I am. And, uh, it looks like it's going to get high hot and dry again, unfortunately. But Thomas is back here now, so. Uh, You do yours? Yep. So I guess it's really just a factor of, like, the May Pond count. But I think mallards, pintails, gadwalls, teal, they'll definitely all be up. Um, I'm interested to see the divers because the spring was kind of late this year so all the cattails and stuff were a little bit behind up here compared to last year so i I know they nest over water for the most part so it'll be interesting to see what they're like i'd say they're probably going to be kind of about the same and then um kind of your widgeons and uh, green wing teal and boreal nesters i think they'll probably be a little bit better too because i think the the boreal is supposed to have a lot of water in it as well so I think everything will be up. I think the only thing that might be down uh, would be divers again. Yeah, so I said I said uh, blue wings and green wings up and mallards down based on absolutely nothing other than just <laughs> a total guess. But uh, hopefully, yeah, I did say, you know, hopefully everything's back up. Um, I did see in Nebraska's waterfowl regulations – Early on, this was in March for the recommendations. They haven't, they still haven't came out with the finalized ones yet, but I'm pretty sure it was saying SCOP was back up to a three bird limit here in Nebraska. And I don't know if there was any, uh, you know, any contingencies with that, like if it was a shorter season just for SCOP or something. But um, hopefully that is the case. You know, I can remember when there wasn't a limit on SCOP and we could just, I think if there was, it was four at the least, but now it's one here. So. Yeah, I think as recently as the mid to late 2000s, um, the scop limit was at four. So I wish it would go go back to that. I, I hope the population recovers first off. But yeah, yeah, I have I haven't I haven't seen anything about that. I know I looked at the Virginia regs and we're still at the two birds for 20 days and one bird for 40 day season, which is such a wacky format to me. But um, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd like it if it at least went up to back up to two birds overall. For the whole season yeah so i guess actually so there was some talk earlier this year or well earlier this week or maybe it was two weeks ago now i can't keep track of my days anymore but uh 
about I know Nebraska sent out a thing asking how people would feel about a 39 day uh, redu- reduced season and it, it started uh, I mean the forums and the Facebook posts and stuff there was some people that were uh, you know obviously everyone wants to conserve the resource and that that's what should come first um, and it doesn't sound like that's gonna actually happen we'll find out with the bird counts and stuff I think it was kind of a factor of the COVID and you know all that stuff coming together where there wasn't bird counts for two years and the drought too but just personal opinion here Thomas because I know we were talking Elliot and I were if you had a choice would you have a reduced day season or reduced bag limits reduced bag limits for sure that's that's not even much of a question for me like I I wish that Honestly, I wish the East Coast would end the Mississippi Flyway. I guess I don't hunt the Mississippi Flyway, so I can't say. But the East Coast, I would be perfectly happy with a 90-day season and four-bird limit or something like that just to get more days with to sacrifice a few birds. I mean, I think it's better for uh, the guys who can only hunt on the weekends. You know, they really only get eight, nine weekends a year, and weekends are typically, you know, you, you always have conflicts on weekends or a lot of times have conflicts on weekends. So I just think more days and less birds, not something I'm necessarily advocating for, but if the option did come up, I, would, I wouldn't be against it. See, that's, that's exactly where I fell too. You know, I'd rather have, even if it was a three bird limit, which technically Nebraska and South Dakota do have that option if you choose the tier two option. Um, but you know, that wouldn't hurt my feelings if we still kept the number of days. But ultimately, you know, we just rely on what the biologists, uh, you know, tell us and what they're seeing and uh, <laughs> hope it all works out. So, yeah, I think the reason they might go for reducing days now instead of reducing bag limits is that it seems like these days a lot more people solely focus on waterfowl where as in the past, maybe I don't, I'm going all off hearsay here. I'm only 22 years old. So in the past, what I, from what I've heard, a lot of people were kind of multi, multi-faceted hunters. They did upland, they did, they deer hunted, they waterfowl hunted. So, you know, they wouldn't just solely focus on waterfowl hunting. Whereas these days, it seems like a lot of people have really caught the waterfowl bug and that's almost all they do. And so, reducing the days isn't as effective if you have so many people hunting four or five, six days a week. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see that. I, you could also make the argument though, if you reduce limits, then people can get their limit and get out earlier. And then those birds can be unmolested for the rest of the day. Granted, you know, someone else might come in mid morning or early afternoon or whatever. I mean, you could go back and forth on this whole thing. So mm-hmm. for um, sure. But no, there is there is actual data that backs up what you were saying. Um, I know in Nebraska they were showing like when the majority of such and such species, yeah, <laughs> such and such <laughs> species were harvested, and it would like drop off. Like there was a you know you could see when the rifle opener for deer was, or when when we actually had pheasants, you could see when pheasant opener and upland season really kicked off. Like it would pull some people away from waterfowl season um, and stuff like that. So. I don't, I don't know if, if it is more specialized like that. I know I'm a waterfowl hunter first. I go out deer hunting this year. I'm going to do an antelope hunt. So, but I'm going to be thinking about ducks, you know, the whole time I'll, you know, might see a antelope. And if I see a duck fly over, I'll probably just watch it till I don't see it anymore and then go back to antelope hunting or something. But yep. 
Yeah. So I guess uh, kind of pivot here. Uh, let's. I know we had some people that wanted to uh, ask, or they were asking about recipes, favorite recipes, birds to eat. And real quick, I guess I'll plug this in. Uh, if you guys have any topics, guests, any feedback, drop it down in the Foul Front podcast group on Facebook. So check it out. A lot of good discussions. Hopefully going to start happening again here. It's been kind of dead because the podcast has been dead. But uh, we're back and uh, better than ever. Don't tell Ben that. But yeah. So, <laughs> so Thomas, let's uh, let's start with you. What, I guess, rank your top three ducks to eat? If you had, if Ooh, you had that... to pick just three. Am I ranking them in order or is it just top three? We'll do in order. I'd have to say number one, pintail, number two, wood duck, and three, green winged teal. And some of the mallard purists are probably not loving hearing that. And the only reason I'm leaving mallard out of that top three, I think mallard can probably be number one overall. A fat, like late winter mallard, I think is just right up there with the pintail. I think if you did a blind taste test with them, it hardly anybody would be able to tell a difference. But I've noticed that mallards, they're just more, they're more opportunists. So they will feed in sewer ponds. They'll feed in a salt marsh. They'll eat whatever they can. So I've had some really great mallards, but I've also had some mallards that, I mean, tasted worse than some of the bad spoonbills I've had. So they can really, <laughs> they can be all the way across the board and uh yeah i'd i'd say those are my top three what about you matt so i have got the same birds in the top three i'm gonna put green wings number one though and then mm. wood duck and pintail and the reason i do green wing number one isn't I, I think a lot of them those i mean those top we'll call it top four because i'll throw mallards in right at four they they take they all taste great but the thing i love about green wing teal is they're so easy to pull this pull the feathers off of because you know I love eating green wing teal. You just skin on, throw them in a, uh, a skillet, and you know put a little rosemary, a little garlic, a little pepper on there. Medium rare, just delicious. Score the skin, but it, it's just a lot easier to prep them than like a mallard. I mean, I mean most puddle ducks are pretty easy, honestly, but the green wings are probably the easiest ones to do that with if you want to keep the skin on or pluck them. Yep. Yeah, I, I love wood ducks for the same reason. Wood ducks, and at least the, especially the late season ones, when they don't have any pin feathers, you know, you can clean one of those in three, four, five minutes, and they're just amazing. Whether you're roasting the whole duck or doing skin on, um, I think it's it's a little bit of a, uh, a a waterfowl crime, I'd say, to just breast out a wood duck or a teal without leaving the skin on. I mean, especially <laughs> one late in the season, it's like they are so delicious skin on. I just can't imagine just pulling the breasts out of them. Oh yeah, with no skin. Yep. I mean, once that that was a game changer. Once I started, I still go back to that uh, that skin on pintail Titus made in Kansas. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that was yep. some of the best. That might, I don't know. I that was some of the best eating duck I've ever had. Did, so did Titus make that or did Josh make that? I thought Josh made it. It doesn't matter. Uh, but, it don't uh, matter. I can't remember now. One of them did, but uh, yeah, whoever did, kudos to you guys. If they're even paying attention, I don't even know if they listen to this. See, Which, the, 
I've always wanted to do a blind taste test between those three, mal or really four, Mallard, Pintail, Wood Duck, and Teal, because I think they're all right up there around each other. The thing is, I just don't get the opportunity to shoot all four in like a short time frame, hardly ever. I'd say Texas was the only time I've ever had a chance this past Texas trip. We actually saw a couple Wood Ducks out in the part of Texas we were hunting, which was really weird. Um but you have that opportunity in the sandhills it seems like to potentially shoot all four within a, a period where all of them would be fresh because i feel like freezing the breast and then thawing them out i mean that that would yeah. at least have some effect on the on the quality and the taste of the meat yeah it doesn't do it true justice um i, I mean i definitely could it seems like wood ducks are very hit and miss in the sandhills like you have to really scout out like you might get one randomly but Typically, there's very few select places that they like to hang out. Um, but, yeah, so I guess let's pivot from favorite birds to least favorite birds to eat. Ooh, that's a good one. You only got to do one. We'll, we'll only make you do one for this. I mean, I could just throw a whole group of birds in there just being mergansers, but... We're, we're excluding I... the mergansers. How are we excluding the? Are we talking? So are we just talking puddle ducks and diving ducks, or sea ducks in there too? Well, yeah, you can throw sea ducks in. I've never had a sea duck, so I can't attest to them. I guess. Honestly, I actually think surf. I've only ever ate surf scoter before. I've never ate eider, or old squaw, or any of the other uh, scoters. But I think buffalo. I think I've definitely had some worse buffalo heads than the scoter I had. The scoter I had. My buddy Josh Lutcher, he told me how to prepare it, and it was actually not bad. It wasn't a mallard or a pintail or a wood duck, but it was certainly edible and pretty good, actually. So uh, the buffalo heads I've had, I haven't cooked one. Like, I guess the only buffalo heads I shot were like right in the first couple years I got into waterfowl hunting, so I really didn't know how to cook waterfowl. So probably the worst duck I've ever ate, hands down besides maybe merganser was i plucked a buffalo head and cooked it in the oven when i was about 16 oh. years old and completely overcooked it dried it out and it was like it was a big river buffalo head too so it had probably just been eating fish like that's mm. really the only thing out there that time of year maybe some clams i don't know um and it, it was disgusting it stunk up the kitchen and i took about three <laughs> bites and fed it to the dog so uh, not my proudest moment, but definitely a, a learning lesson. Yeah, and you touched on a couple really important things there for, uh, I guess, people that are either just starting out cooking wild game, especially waterfowl, uh, is it's all in, one, it's all in preparation. It's all how you make it. And number two, don't overcook it. You don't you don't want it well done. Uh, you definitely want it medium, medium rare, uh, especially if you're grilling it or, you know, whatever. And then there, there's other ways you can make it too, but... Uh, definitely don't overcook it because it's, it's a very lean meat. And I, I guess that can be said of all wild game typically. But uh, for me, my least favorite <laughs> would be gadwall. Oh my gosh. Gagwall, gut duck, whatever you want to call them. In, in the sand hills, the gadwall, they land on these ponds. It's almost always just gadwall. And these are like little backwater ponds. And they're just stagnant water. And, like, if you step in them, you just smell sulfur. And those gadwall are eating those plants that are growing in there. And it makes their breast taste like crap. Like, if I shoot a gadwall, I'm making jerky with it, typically. Or summer sausage. Like, I'm, 
I, they, they do not taste good around here, and we've tried a multitude of recipes before that. Okay, so I still can't get on board with the Gadwell being the worst ever. Like, they're even divers, like, I would say a ringneck. Like, I don't, I, I don't dislike ringnecks, but how can the Gadwell taste worse than a ringneck? You're, what you're saying does make sense, you know, eating plants out of a sulfur wetland. That does not sound like it would make for very good table fare, but I have a challenge for you. There has to be some way to counteract that sulfur, that sulfur taste or sulfur smell, whatever it is. Like there has to be something you can soak those gadwall breasts in that will take that sulfur out or mask the sulfur. So that's my challenge for you. I want you to come up with that this season because I've seen you pass <laughs> on so many gadwalls in videos up there and every time it just breaks my heart so i you and i just want else, you to man. figure it out because every time you pass up on a gadwall and the decoys i want to break my computer screen but why why would i shoot a gadwall when i can get a mallard or a green wing teal you know like <laughs> because it, it, i feel like if you could counteract that sulfur taste or smell i mean a gadwall should be almost just as good as a mallard like if you ask me for my entire list of best eating ducks gadwall would be right mm. there about five six or seven see and maybe uh it i'm gonna say this i'm sure there's great tasting gadwall out there and maybe my perception was warped early on from a handful that Devin and i shot over the first couple of years and you know we tried them um, all kinds of different ways like i said and couldn't find a good tasting one now if i shot one in a cornfield that came in with a flock of mallards Maybe I would try skin on and uh, grilling it, and maybe you probably won't even know, because you know it's all about that diet. But mm-hmm. when I'm Sandhills Gadwall, I'm not. <laughs> I'm making uh, making something else with them. So at least you're and, using them. At least you're at least you're th- putting yeah. them in jerky or something like that, and not turn them into dog food. So kudos to you for at least making an effort. Oh yeah, you know I I eat everything I I uh, everything I shoot I eat so. Um, and I guess we can jump into some recipes here, but, uh, like just, I guess go into this here a little bit, but I don't, I don't, so I don't go and buy meat from the store. I don't, you know, I, I shoot a deer, I grind it up. That's what I use for hamburger or for whatever else. Uh, some ducks and goose, I'll grind those up, use those as burger meat too. So I make duck chili, duck tacos, duck spaghetti. You just want to make sure you pull those BBs out. Cause you don't want to find those when you're eating like spaghetti or something or tacos, um, I did bite into a taco about four days ago with some of my ground goose meat <laughs> and hit a BB pretty good. I don't think I broke anything, but that is to be determined for sure because I have yeah. a little bit of a toothache. Yeah, also, <laughs> I just had a wisdom tooth removed, actually. So I'm uh, I'm on painkillers right now doing this. But uh, So if I'm not very coherent, that's the reason why right now. But uh, anyways, back to what were we talking See, But... Uh, no, so, I, you know, I'll grind it up. Um, I love summer sausage. Love eating that for breakfast, so I'll make summer sausage. Um, mm-hmm. You know, those those are all really fairly easy recipes that anyone can make. A chili recipe, a taco recipe, uh, fajitas are another one, uh, shish kebabs or kebabs or whatever. You know, you just season them, marinate them however you want. Um, Don't forget poppers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, teal poppers. That's one of my favorite parts you know dove and teal poppers i guess i should say um those are amazing do you think poppers is the most cooked waterfowl dish or if it's not poppers what would you say is the number one most popular waterfowl dish if it's not poppers are we excluding like jerky 
or mm, summer sausage. No, I, I'd say I do. You can say those, but then also talk about a dish that's like actually cooked. I'd probably say jerky number one. I'd say a lot of people like making jerky. I know people they shoot deer just to make jerky with it, and that's, mm-hmm. you know I'd rather have it because I I love venison, I love duck meat, I love all you know all wild game. So, um, I I also like jerky. I'll make a little bit of jerky too, but usually I'm going to use it for me like more for just cooking stuff. But I I don't know. Poppers definitely is up there. It's probably the number one dove dish. Oh, um, for sure. Probably number one teal even too, at least in like where there's early teal seasons down in, you know, the late places where they get them super late, like California, Louisiana, whatever. I'm sure they got all kinds of great ways to cook them. Actually, speaking of that, that might be one of my favorite recipes. It's called a Cajun duck. And I can't remember how, I can't remember the recipe. I'll try to find it and I'll throw it in the Facebook group. Um, But my cousin makes it and it, it is so good. Oh my gosh. You put it on like wild rice it's it's delicious you can use any kind huh. of duck in it yeah it's got a nice little kick to it kind of a i don't know if it's like a gumbo or jambalaya kind of deal there you put like vegetables and stuff in there with it i'll have to find the recipe but that's really good hmm. um have you done a video on that i haven't i haven't i've never made it i've only had only had my cousins who's made it for me a couple times okay um well, if he's the Duck master of that, you need to you need to do a video with him making it because that sounds really good. I'd like to try that. Yeah, definitely. I'll uh, we'll try to do that this upcoming season. Uh, but duck legs. Have you ever had duck legs like chicken wings? Not like chicken wings. I mean, I've I've ate duck legs typically either like a spatchcock duck or a whole plucked duck, but I've never actually cut the legs off to cook them like chicken wings. No. So I save I save like all the legs off. The big ducks I shoot, like mallards and stuff, uh, mm-hmm. I'll take those off, and uh, you just like like. Once again, I I think I've only made them once. I'm trying to remember how I did that. You see, like you like slow cook them, and then you put them in like a Dutch oven or something. Basically, you want the meat to fall off the bone, and then you put like whatever sauce you want in there. I think we did like a sweet chili Thai sauce. Oh my gosh, those are delicious. Got a, I got I, a friend there with you, it sounds like, Thomas. Yeah, I, I got four dogs in the room over from me, so something just <laughs> upset him. I can't hear if a car came. Oh, yeah, I think a car's here. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you want to go solo again for a second while I check this out? Yeah, no problem. Talk uh, talk about whatever, but I think I'd like to segue to the Pittman-Robertson thing. Yeah, I'll cover a few more recipes, though. So, I guess uh, we did have... I guess I should mention, yeah, we did have a request about talking about some recipes, and we'll definitely carry on this with other guests, too, see what their favorite recipes are. But uh, definitely love the uh, the skin-on, plucked teal kind of deal like that. That's really good. Poppers, very good to eat as well. Uh, mallards, skin-on. You score them a little bit. A little bit of rosemary, garlic, um, excuse me, pepper, and then you just cook them in a griddle. Really good as well. So... Uh, yeah, that's, you know, there's, there's no shortage of different ways you can cook waterfowl. And I'm going to put a plug in for Hank Shaw's, uh, recipe book, duck, duck, goose. I got that and I haven't tried every recipe in it, but there are some really, really good ones in there. And some ones that I, you know, like I, I want to definitely try this upcoming season. So, uh, if you guys are looking for some more 
some more expanded recipes, I definitely recommend that book. Uh, he's he's got some really good ones, and I think he has some other wild game ones as well too, like fish and deer and all kinds of stuff like that. But uh, as Thomas previously alluded to before, he was I don't know I think he's herding dogs or something. Who knows? Oh, make some baseless accusations here. But uh, we're gonna close this podcast out with a talk about the Return Act. And if you haven't heard of the Return Act, basically it's an act. Um, or a proposed bill that seeks to get rid of the Pittman-Robertson Act. And if you don't know what that is, it's a tax on the purchase of all firearms and stuff, basically that helps to fund conservation. It's a, it's a huge deal um, that everyone who is a hunter or angler or just a fan of the outdoors in general should be concerned about. And luckily, there's been some senators that initially backed the bill, they have pulled their support for it because of the outcry. Um, if you know, if you want to do something, write your senators, write your representatives. Uh, there's howl.org. You can go on there. You can find their uh, there's like a button or something, and it'll it'll show you your representative. There's there's a letter. You type it up and uh, you send it to your representative. It's pretty simple. Let them know what your thoughts are. Let them know that you're not in favor of this. So, you know, that, that would be a huge, huge deal um, to lose that. It'd be a huge blow to conservation um, if we lost that. And <laughs> we'll see what Thomas's weighs in here on it, too, when he returns. If he returns, I, I don't know. He kind of got up pretty quick and just ran out the room. But, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's dead sooner than later. And, uh, you know, we have one less threat to the outdoors because, it's death by a thousand cuts, and that's unfortunate. That's the day and age we live in. But uh, I guess one thing to mention is, uh, you know, we're one thing that Ben, the former host of this, really, uh, really tried to bring to the podcast was his love of conservation, and we're doing our best to preserve that because it is important. It's important for everyone to know these issues and to be able to speak about them and speak out against them or for them depending on you know whatever what whatever arises so that's what we're going to try to you know if something like this comes up again we're going to keep talking about it. we're going to let everyone know about it and hopefully uh you know try to do our part to <laughs> to protect the wildlife um and the outdoors that we all know and love sorry about that okay you Did gotta you... tell us what was going on now Oh, it was just Corey's mom coming home to let the dogs out. I don't think they knew that I was here. So, okay. she so just now we know let who the let dogs the dogs out all them years ago. Yep, so. No, I did a uh, pretty quick rundown of the uh, Return Act. So, you know, it's a act, like I said, that... Uh, aims to get rid of the Pittman-Robertson Act, or I guess it's a bill. Well, and it's not even it's not even the Pittman-Robertson Act. I think it's, maybe it is just the Pittman-Robertson Act, but the whole, like, the Return Act is a, um acronym for basically repeal taxation on our unalienable rights. So the whole, their, their issue isn't actually with the Pittman-Robertson Act and the fact that it sends money to conservation is with the fact that they're taxing basically based off the Second Amendment. So 
doesn't make it any better, but I no. guess I, I guess maybe it does make it a little better. It's it's definitely a little bit concerning that it is um, a lot of senators from red states who are supporting and pushing this bill. I mean, it was drafted by a Republican, and the, both the co-sponsors are Republicans as well. So I think they might be a little out of touch with uh, some of their constituency. Well, and I did mention that some of the uh, co-sponsors of the bill did pull their support in the past week or so because oh, of the they? outpouring. Yeah, and then I also said how everyone can reach out and uh, contact the representatives to let them know they are not a fan of <laughs> defunding our national conservation efforts. Yeah, for sure. The, there was a um, couple people posted on Instagram. I'm forgetting what site it was on, but basically there was a petition where you could send send it to your representative. It was really easy to do. So I did yeah. that, and I, I'll try and find that and post it on the foul front. Uh, how.org. How.org, that was it? That was one of them. There might have been another one out there. I too. think there was I think there was multiple. So, yeah, it was really good to see the waterfowl community come together in standing against that bill because I, I hope it looks like it's dead in the water now, but uh, it definitely would have had a huge impact on conservation of all different species. Yep. And then uh, I guess we can kind of briefly touch. I don't want to make this too political because uh, everything else is these days. Uh, there is another bill, and I believe it is 1808, and it's an assault weapons ban bill. But if I interpret it correctly, it's basically banning all semi-automatic weapons, which as duck hunters, uh, <laughs> you know, my 28 gauges are all semi-automatic. So... Uh, that passed the house yesterday or maybe yeah yesterday and uh hopefully it really? doesn't get past wow. the senate yeah it passed the house it was like 217 to 213 so it goes to the senate and uh i'm sure if it passes that it'll go to the supreme court so hopefully well, it'll, it'll it'll go to biden's desk first and he'll sign it well then or whoever's signing the bills for him yeah, not so. to get too political <laughs> i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that one was proposed by a democrat yeah yep it was so uh you know something else to consider writing your senators and representatives well i guess it's too late for the representatives but uh yeah so going forward we'll you know we'll keep you guys informed with uh any bills that are at all relevant to conservation your rights to go out there and hunt fish whatever stuff like that um, but we'll try to keep it as neutral as possible as well too because everything seems to be politicized one way or the other these days and frankly i'm sick of it but uh we yeah won't, we i don't won't mean... go into any more of that so yep so i guess thomas uh, you know that's we're getting on getting up there in time so uh any parting shots parting closing thoughts i guess <laughs> didn't mean to rhyme there <laughs> no this is this is a lot of fun i'm glad to be back doing these with you and like i said i hope we can have alex and ben on here quite a bit because it, it was a lot of fun doing it with all four of us i wish we'd been able to keep it rolling um it just you know having four people try to all get together weekly for a podcast is is quite a feat so um 
yeah, whenever their schedule is allowed, like to have them on again. And I look forward to keep on doing these. So if anybody has any topic ideas, questions, anything like that, we'd really appreciate you leaving it in the, in the uh, foul front podcast group. Yeah. Yeah. Check. Th- so check that out guys. Also check out Thomas's and I's uh, YouTube channels, Hoke Outdoors and High Prairie Sportsman. I'm coming for him right now on the sub race. So you are, but new content, <laughs> new content starts on Monday. So, Oh boy. About or time. May- maybe even tomorrow. We'll see. So I, Bring uh, it. I got to really put the nose to the grindstone here these next couple of weeks to get all these, all the videos I saved from last season up before we get into the whole North Dakota deal. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be fun to keep track how your hunts are going on there. And uh, I guess and we'll, uh, we, you might be seeing me up in uh, the Northland if you can make the trek that's, up. Yeah, that's true. Hopefully we can make, make that uh, work out. I, you know, I've never been to North Dakota, so get up there hopefully get some honkers and uh get back here for dove season so i'm hoping i can hook you on it too and get you back up there for uh, some hunting in like october november because i think it would be so great if we could have a if we could shoot some gadwalls in the field and have you try them i don't know i've never even give me I've never even shot a duck in a field, so disclaimer, that might be completely preposterous. I've seen people shoot them in fields, but I don't know if I could actually do it. Oh, you gotta come down here if you want to shoot them in fields. We'll get you on a field hunt. I've never seen you shoot a duck in a field on video. Doesn't mean I haven't done it. <laughs> <laughs> but, <Fair> uh... Enough. <laughs> I guess we'll throw the other guys a little bit of a bone here, even if they don't you know reciprocate the favor so uh go check out outdoor limits podcast josh from outdoor limits has his own podcast mid valley mercenary i messed it up last time too mvm show with titus from mid valley mercenaries another podcast and uh elliot no, don't don't is mention, doing a- don't mention him yeah oh i thought you were oh, no, gonna say elliot, jordan hey, no no no, okay. no elliot's doing a podcast the uh, duck gun podcast so go check his out too uh there might he might have a co-host i don't know so yeah just skip over the parts with this co-host <laughs> But that's all we have for you guys today. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. See ya. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. fun to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish this is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here from the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters enjoy the best fishing panama city beach has to offer during chasing the sun sundays at 9 30 a.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment